Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and to study your word and to learn a little bit more about the Ten Commandments. And I pray, Father, that our um, uh, the sermon this morning, uh, the discussion will be so uh, helpful and it will guide our thinking into uh, how we understand who you are and how we can present who you are in this world. So, Father, give us great insight into these things and help us to honor and glorify you in it all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this is our series on the Ten Commandments. We're continuing our series. And uh, by now, we've done three or four times of going through different hand motions, right? And so what I want to do this morning is I want to, I told you I wasn't going to do this, but I am going to do it anyways. Uh, I'm going to quiz you this morning, okay? This is going to be an exam, all right? But, but the, here, here's, the, here's the nice thing about it, okay? My quizzes come with a reward. Okay, so cookies. Uh, so here's the deal. If you want to try to do one of the hand motions and tell me what it represents, which commandment it represents, uh, go ahead and raise your hand so you can, and you'll get a cookie if you do it right, all right? So, but here's the catch. You don't know which commandment I'm going to give you, okay? It's going to be marked on, on the cookie, okay? Not on the cookie, but on the bag, so, okay? So, here, you can have one. This is chocolate chip cookies, by the way, so if you're allergic or whatever, just let me know. And what if we can't figure it out? Yeah. Like we don't know it until we get the cookies. Uh, well, then you're going to have to probably give it back. So. Can I get another one? <laughs> Can you get another one? In just a second here. Oh, we already have all this one. It's the only one I don't know. Okay, I need four more. Four more. Julia? Oh, sorry. You'll take that one? Okay. Okay. You want one, Julie? Okay, one more. I'd rather I'd rather be someone who doesn't have to do it twice. Okay, yeah, that's right, Michelle. Perfect. Okay, so who has who has number one? So I hope you can read it. You have number one. Okay, you have to show me the hand motion, and then you got to tell me what commandment it is. Okay. Okay, that's not the commandment. I know we we've, we've been kind of. Wait, wait, wait. Shh, hold on. Close. That, that's close enough. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me, okay? So, okay, good. Number two. Who's number two? You can eat your cookie if you want by now. Oh, dang, that should be exact, though. Okay. Well, it doesn't have to be exact, but you got to eat pretty, pretty much. So. You, you got number two? Yeah. Okay. Okay, what is it? You shall not have any, uh, you shall not make any false idols or. Yeah, that's fine. That's good. You shall not make an idol or any image, in, yeah, that's good. By the way, com commandment number two is really long, so technically, but it just keeps going and going for a couple of verses. But what? Oh, I know. Shh, don't look. Don't peek. Well, you did. We. No, no, no. What's what's your number three? You what? Well, hold on to it then. Hold on. Number three. You know, yeah. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Very good. Okay. What was what was the hand motion though? Okay. Very good. So you got to know the hand motion, too. So, Yeah, okay, good. Number four. Yep. Okay, good. Very good. Number five. Yeah, very good. Very good. Or if you, if you don't like that, you can do just, you know, hand across the heart or whatever. So, yeah, that's good. Number, number six. Do, do not murder. Very good. Yep. Number seven. Good, 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 good. Yeah. Yep, no adultery. Yep. Do not commit adultery. Okay, number number eight. 
Shall not steal. What's the hand motion? Do you remember it? Yeah, yeah, good, good. Yeah, very good. Yep. Number nine. We're doing well. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, do not bear false witness. Number 10. Yes. You guys are awesome. Good job. No one failed this. So I think, yeah, Basil almost failed. But no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that's good. You guys did very well. You guys did very well. <laughs> all right. So, uh, so after several weeks of you know wading through all kinds of introductory material, we finally reached the point where we get to actually talk about the Ten Commandments this morning. So this is great. So, uh, we've talked about what they're not, right? We've talked about all the different kinds of myths out there about the Ten Commandments. You know, they're just a bunch of rules, or you know, they're totally random, or they can save me, that kind of stuff, right? Uh, we've talked about how they will benefit you, you know, things like they will teach you to think and live biblically. They will help you to worship devotionally. Uh, they will put the Old and New Testaments together for you. Uh, they will get you stoked about the gospel, things like that. So excited was the word I used before, but I like stoked better, so I'm going to change it. Um, we've also talked about the context of the Ten Commandments. That was uh, two weeks ago, I think. Uh, they're embedded in a constitution. They are framed as a covenant. Uh, they are couched in terms of a sermon. Uh, and so there's a lot of different things we've talked about, but now we want to dive into the Ten Commandments themselves, okay? And we want to explore this idea. What is the point of the Ten Commandments, okay? We've kind of talked kind of around the issue, but now we actually want to address it head on. What is the purpose of the Ten Commandments? And so over the next three weeks, I want to define the purpose of the Ten Commandments for you. It's not going to happen in one, in one week here. There's a lot of issues we have to talk about, okay? There's a lot of, um, there's, there's just a lot of things that are there. So, uh, so I have broken this topic down into three weeks because I believe there are three primary purposes to the Ten Commandments, okay? Three primary purposes, and this morning we are going to look at one of those purposes. Now, I had... I had a wonderful PowerPoint that I was going to put up on the screen this morning. And probably from now on, I'm going to have a PowerPoint, which will help you kind of write down notes and stuff and everything. And I had a nice little picture. It was going to be awesome. But oh, well, you're just going to have to imagine this for me. But, I, but I, I'm sure, I'm sure you, you know of this, OK? So every year for the past six or seven years, I've taken a trip up the 99 to a summer camp location with the junior high ministry at Grace Community Church, OK? Um, obviously, I don't do that anymore because I'm here now. So, but I used to do it all the time. And as you go up the 99, there are always these signs that you see along the way. And what it is is it's, it's a black sign, and it just basically has this burger sticking out of the sign. And it says In-N-Out Burger, right? And it says Exit on Panama or Exit on you know, countryside and turn left or something like that to find the nearest In-N-Out burger, right? These massive billboards with this, literally this, this, this burger is just sticking out of the sign. And it's like tempting you to like go eat it or something like that, okay? And so I, I remember seeing those all the time and it just, it taunts you. It's like, wow, like I really want an In-N-Out burger right now, right? And so when it comes to these kind of billboards, I don't know if you realize this, but you can treat it one of two ways, okay? You could take the illogical route. You could actually take the billboard literally, and you could think to yourself, hey, there's a gigantic 
burger sitting up on that sign. And so then you go run over to the billboard, climb up the ladder, and start licking or trying to chew the burger, right? But that would be ridiculous, of course, right? That's, that's stupid. Like, why would you ever do something like that? But you could do that. You could actually take the billboard literally. However, you could take a more logical approach. You could treat the billboard the way it is intended to be treated. You could say to yourself, hey, there's an In-N-Out burger nearby. And what I want to do is go to that In-N-Out burger. And so the billboard's not where the double-double is at, but it's pointing me in the right direction. And so you could use the billboard as a sign to the location, not the location itself. Now, I use this goofy illustration because I think, sadly, a lot of Christians treat the Ten Commandments like the first option, like the first option. They think the Ten Commandments are all there is. And what they do is they just assume, if I just do the Ten Commandments, I will be made right with God, and everything will be okie-dokie. That's what they think. And so the Ten Commandments is just, I just go camp out at the sign and, and just hang out there, and nothing else happens beyond that. Well, you miss the whole point of the Ten Commandments. If, if that's the case, you have missed the point. The Ten Commandments are not the end destination. They're not the end destination. The Ten Commandments point you to the end destination. That's what they do. Uh, just like a billboard points you to where you need to go. But what is that end destination? That's the question we want to answer. What is, what are the Ten Commandments pointing to? And the Ten Commandments, what we're going to find out, number one this morning is this. The Ten Commandments are pointing you to God himself. Okay? The, the Ten Commandments are pointing you to God himself. Just like an In-N-Out billboard pictures what In-N-Out is all about, the Ten Commandments illustrate in a visual way who God is and what he's all about. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about, okay? For example, the Sixth Commandment is do not murder, right? We know that. Who did the Sixth Commandment? You did. That's right. You did the Sixth Commandment. Do not murder, right? You stab yourself or whatever. Six. Okay? Six commandments, do not murder. What does that commandment communicate about God? When you exercise self-restraint and decide not to murder anybody, you are communicating that you value life. You value life. And what this does is that it illustrates to everyone that the God you serve also values life. Okay? That's what it does. And so and God values life because it is part of who he is. That's by nature who he is. He values life. He, he cherishes it. He treasures it. And so God is a being who values life. And since you are a servant, you are going to illustrate that by choosing not to murder just as God commanded you. Okay, see how that works? Does that make sense? Sort of? Not really? Okay. If you, if, if you have a hard time with that, it, well, well, we'll see. It, it, it shouldn't be too bad, but, but that's, that's the purpose of the Ten Commandments. That's, that's one, of the, one of the purposes in a, in, in a sense. And so what we're going to learn this morning, bottom line, here's the main point, the big idea. The Ten Commandments are meant to broadcast who God is and what he's all about. They're meant to broadcast who God is and what he's all about. And to show you how the Ten Commandments broadcast who God is and what he's all about, 
I want to walk you through command by command, uh, all, all the Ten Commandments here, and demonstrate for you how each one points to who God is or what he's about, okay? So, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to them, turn them to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. And we'll begin in verse 6. Verse 6 is not one of the commandments, one of the Ten Commandments, but it's kind of like the, uh, the introduction, the preamble, or the, I don't know, whatever you want to think about it, just the, the intro to the Ten Commandments. But we'll start in verse 6. It says here, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of a house of slavery. God says, essentially here, I rescued you from Egypt. I own you. You are mine. And as my people, here is what I want you to communicate about me to this world, okay? This is who I am. This is what I'm all about. And number one, what we see is in verse 7. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, this commandment should be very easy to understand, obviously. It makes sense, right? You shall have no other gods before me. Nothing should be above God. God commands Israel to have no other gods before him. In other words, there's no, there shouldn't be anything else competing against God. There shouldn't be anything else vying for your attention. Uh, you can kind of think about it this way. Um, here, I'll, uh, I'll come over here. If God is here, and let's say just anything in the world, let me say world. We'll just, I'll draw a world. How about that? That'll be even better. I'm going to try to draw America because all maps in America are all centraled around America. So, um, okay. So, and there's South America too, and Mexico. Okay. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. Nothing should ever go above God. Okay. Nothing. This should not happen. That's the idea. Okay. That's the idea. This should not happen. Uh, you should never promote anything above God. Uh, this forms for us what is called a theological principle. Okay, that's that might sound like a big term to you. Okay, theological principle. This forms for us a, a theological principle about God, and a theological principle is just a basic, fundamental truth about the or sorry, a basic fundamental truth in the Bible. That's all it is. It's just a truth. It's just what is true inside the Bible. Okay, and the theological principle we learn from this commandment is that God is highest, okay? And so if you have your sheet there, uh, it'll say, you know, uh, what does it say on there? No gods or something like that? No other gods equals. No other gods equals, okay? Next to that, you just put God is highest. That's our theological principle. God is highest, okay? God is highest. God takes first place in your life. He is the top dog, in a sense, okay? Uh, No one else deserves that spot. He is supreme, and nothing else even comes close to him, okay? Uh, It's okay for us to have different, you know, favorite flavors of ice cream, you know? 
you know, you might like Rocky Road, I might like cookies and cream, you know, you might like mint chocolate chip, and, you know, I might like vanilla or something like that, right? You know, it's okay for us to have different, you know, favorite fast food restaurants, you know, you might like In-N-Out, I might like Chipotle, you know, you know, you might like Subway, who likes Subway anymore? I don't, you like Subway, okay, all right. <laughs> I, I prefer like Jersey Mike's or something like that, but all right. Uh, you know, it's okay, that's okay. It's not okay to have different favorites of God. It's not okay. He and only he is God. That is the bottom line. Uh, think about it. If God is your favorite uh, sometimes and then something else uh, is your favorite, what have you done to God? You have just robbed him of his distinctiveness. You've just robbed him of his holiness. He and only he is unique. He is exclusively holy. Holy means to be set apart, to be different, to be completely different from everyone else. And so if you're going to say, hey, well, I like God, but I also like this and this and this, what have you just done? You've just leveled the playing field. And now God is no longer distinct. No longer is he holy. He is not distinctively highest. Okay? And so there, there is this sense in which you, the first commandment is telling us God must be superior. He must be preeminent. Now, there's a familiar scene in the movie called The Incredibles, okay, uh, where all the superheroes, how many of you guys have seen The Incredibles? Oh, good, yes. Good, you know where I'm going with this then. Uh, where all the superheroes are captured by the evil villain named Syndrome, okay? And it's one of the darkest parts of the movie, but it's actually kind of funny. Uh, Syndrome is not really a superhero, right? He doesn't have any special powers. Uh, he wasn't born with any special abilities, right? So he had to rely upon his inventions to capture all these superheroes. And as Syndrome taunts his superhero prisoners, he makes this comment, when I'm old and I've had my fun, I'll sell my inventions so that everyone can have powers. Everyone can be super. And when everyone's super, no one will be, okay? It's a very familiar line in the, in the movie. If you make something else super, God is no longer super to you. That's how this works. That's actually the idea of the first commandment. The Incredibles just borrowed it from the first commandment, really. <laughs> so it's true. Uh, you've just stripped God of his superiority if you've done that. And, and so right out of the gate, we have the most fundamental command of the ten. God must retain the highest position in your life. Everything else must fall short. It must fall short so that God remains distinct and supreme. Now, let's flip this around in the second commandment. If you should never promote anything above God, then you should also never demote God be to the level of or below anything else. Okay, so commandment number two is in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 8. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any uh, likeness that is in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the waters beneath the earth. Uh, you shall not worship them or you shall not serve them, because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, uh, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, even up to the third and fourth generations, to those who hate me, but who keeps loving kindness for thousands to those who love me and to those who keep my commandments. When God commanded Israel not to make an idol or any graven image, what he means is that they shouldn't try to stuff God into creation. If you make an idol out of God, you are reducing who he is. 
He is the creator. This is the creation, okay? And the two must remain distinct. They must remain distinct. If you try to fit God into creation, you, what you're doing is you are limiting who God is. You're trying to kind of put parameters around God that should never be put around him. And that causes, at the same time, just like the first commandment, him to lose his distinctiveness, his uniqueness, and therefore he loses his supremacy. Okay? And so in The Incredibles, Syndrome planned on selling his inventions all around the world so that everyone could be super, which makes no one super, right? Well, he could have done the exact same thing by flipping it around. What if instead of selling all of his inventions, he just took away the superpowers of all the superheroes? What does that do? No one's super anymore. Same thing. It's the exact same thing. And that's exactly what this is when you try to take God and try to stuff him into creation. Okay? That's why God says, do not create an idol. Uh, do not make me into an idol is the idea. Okay? So uh, there's really two ways you can rob, hit, rob God of his superiority. You can treat something else just as super, or you can try to pretend he's just like one of us. Okay? And so by creating an idol out of God, you are trying to demote him. And when you carve wood, you are proposing that God is creation and not creator. Okay? You're trying to stuff God into a box. He's no longer extraordinary. Extraordinary. And the word extraordinary is exactly that. It is extraordinary. That's who God is. He's extraordinary. He's beyond the common. But if you make an idol, you're saying God is just like everything else. Just like everything else. Okay. And, you know, the temptation, I think, for us today is to say, well, you know, we don't, we don't make idols anymore. So this doesn't really apply to us. But we know that the Bible, te- the Bible tells us that idols are not just wooden carved things that we, you know, shape and, and, and make, right? <clears throat> Colossians 3.5 says that you should put to death the members of your body, sexual immorality, greed, covetousness, evil desire. Uh, I think I already said it, but greed, which is <coughs> idolatry. The sin in your heart is all idolatry. It's all idolatry. And so every time you sin, you're saying, God, I don't really think you're that great. And so I'm going to kind of make your rules in this world just kind of commonplace. And I'm going to treat, uh, I'm gonna treat um, you just as, as normal and my way is supreme. Okay? So, so this really this theological principle that we learn here is this. God is never lower. So no idols equals God is never lower. Uh, don't reduce him to something he's not just to make him relatable or, or find some kind of common ground with him. Okay? So the first two commandments are opposites of each other, but they form one big idea. Okay? So you guys see, see this, right? They're, they're kind of two sides of the same coin, right? But they form one big idea, and it is this, that God must retain the highest position. He must retain the highest position. The first two commandments communicate to the world the position of God, that he is greater than anything. He is greater than anything. Now, if God's position is supposed to be the highest, commandment number three tells us that we should treat his personhood in a similar fashion. Okay, look at, look at verse uh, 11 here. Look at verse 11. <coughs> 
You should not take the, the name of the Lord your God in vain because the Lord does not hold guiltless the one who takes his name in vain. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. What do you think that means? Do not take the Lord's name in vain. You guys tell me, what, what does that mean? Swear. To swear, okay. Good, any other thoughts? Swear. I think that's probably the most common way it's understood, right? Yeah. A lot of people really take this to mean don't curse or swear using God's name. Uh, but it's more than that. It's more than that. Uh, it is that, but there is much more that's involved in this, okay? Now, we don't have time to actually go into this morning all that this means, but I want to kind of broaden your horizons a little bit about what it means, okay? To take God's name in vain is essentially to treat him disrespectfully, okay? To take God's name in vain is essentially to treat him disrespectfully. It's not just inserting his name into a sentence as a curse word, although that's true, that's wrong, you shouldn't do that. Anything you do that communicates you really don't care about God is taking his name in vain. That's really, that's really what this commandment's all about. Let me give you an example of, of what I'm talking about, okay? Did you know there is a special protocol for holding an American flag? There's like, this, there's like a list of rules, uh, and it's called flag etiquette. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool, flag etiquette. I didn't know that it even existed, but it's true. Uh, and it kind of spells out things that you should and should not do while you're holding the American flag. Now, there is one very well-known rule about holding an American flag. Do you know what that rule is? What's the, wow, the Hodels are just like, we know. <laughs> Tell me, Hodels. Yeah, don't let it touch the ground, right? That's like the one rule that everyone remembers, right? Have you ever thought about that? Like, why? Like, why not, why not? It's, it's just, you know, you know, it's just touching the ground. Like, what's the big deal? If you let the flag touch the ground, it is going to come into contact with dirt and all kinds of gross stuff, right? So if you let the flag touch the ground, what are you communicating about your, your, your view of the country? That it's just like dirt. It's just, it's, I don't really care about it. I, I really could care less how, how, what, what it's like, right? So you can claim all you want that by holding some American flag that you respect your country. But if at the same time you're just kind of dragging it on the ground, right, what are you really communicating? I actually really don't believe what I claim. I really don't believe what I claim. And that's the idea of this third commandment. You can claim God is highest, but do you really treat him as that way? Do you really treat who he is as his person that way? And that, that is really, really huge because this is the idea of what it means to be a hypocrite. This is what it means to be a hypocrite. This is what the Pharisees, the trap that the Pharisees fell into. They always said what? God is highest. God is greatest. And so they, they would just, they would literally like, you know, study for, for, you know, years on end about who God is and come up with all these kind of rules and stuff like that. But what was the problem? The way they lived their life actually didn't reflect that. The way they lived their life promoted who? Themselves. It's all about me and my righteous acts that I can make. That's the idea of, of what it means to be a hypocrite, to say, oh, I believe God is great, but to really just reverse it and say, no, 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 actually it's me. I'm great. And you're breaking the third commandment. You're totally breaking it, which means you're breaking the first and second commandments because you really don't view God as high. So it's, it's kind of a smoke screen in a sense, uh, and it's, it's, it's crazy, but that's true. And it's, it's so easy to fall into this trap. Um, you know, people today can say, I think God is great, and, and they can do the exact opposite in their life, you know. 
A lot of people say, in our, especially in our American culture, I'm a Christian, right? A lot of people say I'm a Christian. A lot of people say, like, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I even believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. They'll say that. But how do they live their lives? So many Christians just drop the ball right here. They really do. Why? Because they really don't care about God. They really don't. If you really care about God, it's going to transform your life. It is absolutely going to transform your life. And so we already begin to see that the Ten Commandments start to define for you how the Christian life works. You see this? The Christian life, the way you live your life is so important because it reflects how you view God. Okay? So God should be taken seriously. That is the theological principle. Lord's name equals God is taken seriously. God is taken seriously. If I had my PowerPoint up here, it would be so easy to take notes right now. I'm so sorry, but because it would just tell you right, right there. But next week, next week, okay. Uh, and so if you think highly of God and you treat him that way, then here's the thing. The fourth commandment, you will acknowledge that he has control over everything, that he has control over everything. Uh, number four, the Sabbath equals God controls everything. God controls everything, okay? And uh, I'm not going to read through all the verses because I think the fourth commandment has the longest section of verses. Um, but just, just look at the, the first couple words of verse 12. You shall, what does it say? You shall keep the Sabbath day holy. You shall keep the Sabbath day holy. Now, let me ask you, what is the Sabbath day? Sunday? Sunday? You sure about that? Saturday. Saturday. Sabbath day technically is Saturday, okay? Because the Sabbath day was Israel's day of rest, okay? Kind of like Sunday is for us, sort of, but it's, it's actually a little bit different, okay? Israel's day of rest was, sat was Saturday, okay? And the, the Sabbath day was always uh, supposed to be this day of rest where you, you stop doing your normal work, okay? So if you're like, you work for six days, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you get your day off. You rest and everything like that. Now, here's the question. Here's the real question. Where does the Sabbath come from? Why, why is there a Sabbath day? Why does that exist? Do you know? Hodels are on it this morning. Josh. Bingo. That's right. On the, on the, the seventh day, God rested. That's the Sabbath day. Sabbath means rest, okay? And on the seventh day, God rested from creating the world. So six days, God created the world. Day one, created light. Day, day two, you know, he, you know, separated the waters and stuff like that. Day three, created the land. Day four, created the stars and the sun, the moon, all that kind of stuff. Day five, he created all the fish in the sea. Day six, he created animals and man. Day seven, he rested. He rested. That's the pattern that we have uh, that God has given to Israel to say, you work six days and then you rest. What are you emula emulating? You're emulating the pattern that God set in the very beginning, okay? We're actually going to talk about more, more of this in about two weeks, but for now, just keep that in your mind, okay? So what, what's, what's going on here? If God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh, who's in control of creation? God. God. God dictated how the world would come together, and so God continues to dictate how it should work. Therefore, the theological principle of the fourth commandment is this. God controls everything in the world. God controls everything in the world. So when Israel followed the pattern of working for six days in the week and then resting on the final day, the seventh, what were they illustrating? 
they're illustrating that the, this pattern from the very beginning, they're imitating that God controls everything. God controls time. God controls work. God controls matter. God controls everything. And God has a plan and an agenda. And man is, in a sense, carrying that out to show that there is order and stability in this world. And it's all overseen by God. That's what they're doing. Uh, Steve Jobs, you guys know who Steve Jobs is? Yeah, I mean, there's a movie that just came out about him, right? He passed away a little, you know, just about a year or so ago. Steve Jobs is the, the architect of the famous company, company we all know as Apple, right? And he launched the Macintosh computer and set a trend for technology that has really just about eclipsed all other companies in the world, okay? Uh, Steve Jobs created Apple. He designed it. Now, if Steve Jobs were still alive today, and you were to tell me that he has no say in his company or that he has no power over it, you'd be a fool, right? He designed it. He created it because Steve, because Steve Jobs created it, he dictates how it runs and how it works, right? I mean, that's, that's, how, a, that's how someone who, a creator works, right? He gets to say, this is its function, this is how it works. Well, if, so it is with God over creation. God owns and controls everything because he made all of it. God controls time, God controls space, God controls matter, God controls people. He gets to say how things work and how things should run. And listen to this. If God controls all things in this world, then God gets to say how your life should run. God gets to say how it should run. And one of the ways that we imitate that, or well, one of the ways that Israel imitated it was by fulfilling the Sabbath. We rest on the Sabbath. We proclaim that there is a God and he has an agenda for this world. That's what we're saying. Now, I want you to understand something, okay? This is really important, okay? So pay attention, okay? As Christians today, we don't practice the Sabbath anymore. We don't. And the question is, well, why? I thought, this is one of the Ten Commandments. Why don't we actually practice the Sabbath? We don't do that. And it's not sinful for us not to do it. It's not, okay? And we'll talk about more about why that is later, okay? I don't have time to go through it right now, but I just want you to keep this in mind. We don't do the Sabbath anymore, but that doesn't mean that the Sabbath commandment doesn't affect what we do today. It does. There are ways that we actually live out the intention of the Sabbath commandment, okay? And we'll get into that more. One of the ways, though, one of the ways is that we meet instead of on Saturday, is that we meet on Sunday, okay? And I'll explain why we meet on Sunday and not Saturday, okay, in the coming future. But that's one way. There's a whole bunch of other ways that we actually do the intention of the Sabbath commandment, okay? So, now, if God controls your life, think about this, okay? If God controls your life, then God gets to say how you live it, and that is what the rest of the Ten Commandments are all about. The rest of the Ten Commandments tell us this is how you should live your life. Commandment number five, honor your parents. Commandment number six, uh, do not murder. Commandment number seven, do not commit adultery. Commandment number eight, don't steal. Commandment number nine, don't bear false witness. Number 10, don't covet. The final 10 commandments flesh out the fourth commandment. They flesh it out. This is how God gets to say how your life runs, okay? Now, does it now make sense why even the order of the 10 commandments is so important? Moses, who wrote this, is building 
a logic. Okay, he's building a logic. And actually, it's not just Moses, it's actually God. God is the real genius behind it all. But, but that's, th- there's an intentionality here, okay? So let's look at the fifth commandment real quickly, okay? Honor parents. And this equals God values authority. God values authority, okay? This is a very simple commandment, obviously. Honor your parents, right? Obey your parents. You know, you're told that from Sunday school, right? But why? Why is that important? What's, what's this communicating? What is the purpose of being obedient to your parents? By obeying your parents, you're not just doing it because you're told to. That's not the idea of obeying your commandments in the Bible. If that's the way you think obeying your commandments is, that's why we're going through this series, okay? Because we need to understand why we do what we do as Christians. This is the theological principle. God values authority. You communicate that God values authority when you obey your parents. That's really the idea of obeying your parents. It's not just, well, I'm told to do it. Well, that's true. You should do it because you're told to do it. But what are you communicating? I value authority. I, it's, not, it's not that I, I hate authority. I appreciate authority because who's my authority? God. God's my authority. Okay? We'll talk more about that next week. Okay? But this commandment is the weightiest for you personally. This is the biggest. This is the biggest. You need this more than probably any other commandment because God prizes order and structure and authority. And we live in a culture that hates it, hates authority. We live in a culture that despises authority. Uh, We live in a culture where rules and government and teachers and parents are put put uh, put by the wayside and just shrugged off and say, I don't care. Rebellion, um, self-promotion, um, all these different kinds of things like individualism, it just dominates our culture. And it saturates all of our lives. We are built into this. I am built in with this. I am too focused on me and my rights and my freedom. That's just kind of the American mindset. But do you realize for the last, like, only for the last 250 years has that mindset actually been developed? Really, I mean, like, this is, this, is not, this is not exactly the way to think. Now, is freedom good? Yes. Is it great to have religious freedom? Absolutely. Is it good to be able to, to not have to be dominated by a government or by, by leaders? Yes, that's wonderful. But don't, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, it, authority is good. It's right. Romans chapter 13 talks about how God has given authority into this world to proclaim that he is the ultimate authority, and we must live up to that. So when you obey your parents or anyone in authority over you, you illustrate a part of who God is, that he values authority, and so should we. Okay? So, number six, sixth commandment. God doesn't just love authority. God also loves life. God loves, he prizes and cherishes life. Number six in the fifth commandment, or sorry, the sixth commandment. Uh, We just looked at the the fifth commandment here, uh, which is is in verse 16, honor your father and mother. But number, uh, in verse 17, do not murder, do not murder. This is another simple commandment. Don't kill people, okay? It's obvious. Don't kill people, all right? That's not good, right? We know that. That's probably the one that 
everyone in the world would affirm and say that's even non-believers and atheists would say this is the one commandment that is you should definitely hold to, okay? Uh, God prizes life, though. That's the idea. God cherishes life. That's why Genesis uh, 2.7 says, God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. God didn't breathe life into man just so he could get him alive and then kill him. You know, that didn't happen. God loves life. He loves it. And I'm not saying that, you know, necessarily that God's a tree hugger or an animal rights activist or anything like that, okay? All I'm saying is God loves life. He loves it. And so by opting not to kill anybody, you are telling everyone that you value life just like God does, okay? And just kind of a side note, that's why Christians, and rightfully so, are trying to take such a big stand on abortion, okay? Because you're taking someone's life. And I know there's all these arguments, well, it's not really a person unless it's born or doesn't become a person until a certain week of pregnancy. No, 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 no. Biblically defined, life starts at conception. As soon as that baby forms in the mother's womb, even just the cells, it has life. And if you decide to take away that life, you are butchering the sixth commandment. And when you butcher the sixth commandment, what are you going to do? You're going to upset the entire structure that's already been built in the Ten Commandments. Don't do that. God values life. He loves life. Number seven, this is in verse 18. Do not commit adultery. Do not commit adultery. Now follow me here, okay? Adultery is sex outside of marriage. Adultery is sex outside of marriage. But if God controls everything, he gets to say what marriage should be like, okay? God has designed marriage to be the closest relationship humans know. It is supposed to be the most intimate and the most enjoyable friendship on the planet. Now, we're going to talk more about this uh, when we start discussing each commandment in depth. But I want to put something in your brain until then, okay? And it is this. It is this. Sex is relational. Sex is relational. You cannot separate relationship from sex. You can't do that. So when you commit adultery, you are trying to rip the relationship out of sex and therefore communicate that you don't care about uh, relationship, and so God doesn't care about relationship. That's what you're saying. And that's absolutely bogus. Absolutely bogus. God is a very relational being. God has not, not only created Adam and Eve in the garden, God walked in the garden with them, God talked with them, God had a personal relationship with them. But adultery or any other sexual perversion like homosexuality, pornography, or anything else, it corrupts relationship as defined by God. That's what it does. The theological principle, therefore, is God values relationship. No adultery equals God values relationship. And so that's why sexual immorality is such a big deal. It is such a big deal. I, I think our culture is kind of like, even our Christian culture, well, what's the big idea? I don't, I don't know. What, who cares? It's not hurting anybody. Are you kidding me? You have just destroyed the concept of relationship as defined from the very beginning. You can't do that. You can't do that. You're going to upset the idea that God actually wants to have a relationship with man. 
And God has a relationship between, his fa- between the Father and the Son, and between the Son and the Holy Spirit. And these relationships are perfect, and they're in full harmony. You can't do that. You're going to communicate that God doesn't care about relationship. If God doesn't care about relationship, then you are going to die in your sins because Jesus will never come and save you on the cross. Never. Are you going to really deny that? If you deny that, 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 uh, th- if you deny that being uh, sexually pure is right, then you deny the cross, is what I argue, because the cross is very relational. Okay? Number eight. Number eight. No stealing equals God values ownership. Okay? And we'll move through this real quick, okay? Number eight equals uh, no stealing equals God values ownership. Do not steal. In verse 19. Here's the logic once more. If God controls everything, that means he owns everything. He owns everything. And God owns all the stuff in this world, and he has distributed it the way he sees fit. So when you opt not to steal from other people, you are expressing that you value ownership, that people actually own stuff that God has given to them, and they have a right to those things. So I hope you are catching, catching, uh, by now catching on the idea it's the same thing over and over again. What we choose to do or not to do communicates who God is, right? That's what we're doing here. Number, number nine, no false witness equals God values justice. No false witness equals God values justice. Do not bear false witness in verse 20. The theological principle here is that God values justice. And I wish I had time to go through this, but I think most people think the ninth commandment is, you know, do not bear false witness. So that's, that means don't lie. That means don't lie. Yes, it does, and no, it doesn't. Yes, it does, and no, it doesn't. We're going to have to talk about more about this when we jump into it in depth, okay? But let me just say this. This is about justice. This is about justice. The idea of bearing false witness should bring to your mind the, idea, the uh, picture of a courtroom. When you bear false witness, you're on the stand, you say, I you know, swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God, right? What are you doing? You're saying, I'm going to bear a, uh, a true witness, not a false witness. But when you bear false witness, what are you doing? You are perverting justice because you're trying to take advantage of a courtroom situation for your own personal gain and exploit someone else. So what you're doing is you're perverting justice. The idea behind this commandment is God values justice. God cares about the orphan and the widow. God cares about the fact that each individual is equal in the eyes of God. No one is better than someone else. And we need to be treating people that way. Okay? Number 10. No coveting equals God's ways are best. No coveting equals God's ways are best. And there's so much we could talk about here, but if God controls everything, including who you are and what you do, then it's safe to say, last and finally, that God values contentment. God values contentment. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. That's, that's the uh, no coveting equals God values contentment. I'm sorry. But it does communicate that God's ways are best. God's ways are best. God says, don't covet. If you really respect me as God and value me as a, pers- value me as a personal being, then you will not covet. You will not be discontent with your life. That's the Ten Commandments. An In-N-Out Burger billboard is meant to broadcast In-N-Out, right? It's meant to broadcast In-N-Out. 
With the Ten Commandments, you have the opportunity to broadcast who God is and what he's all about. What are you broadcasting right now? What are you broadcasting? If we were to throw your life story up on a billboard or put it up on a TV, what would we see? What would we see? Would we see a life that gives us a glimpse into, the, into uh, God, who he is, and what he's all about? Or would we be, or sorry, would we be mesmerized by God, by God, much like we are blown away by you know, the short or punchy trailers from Star Wars and stuff like that? We'd be, would we be just floored by who God is and what he's all about? Or would we see some kind of self-advertisement, some kind of self-promotion or self-endorsement? Everyone's broadcasting something. Everyone's broadcasting something. You all show what you care about by the way you live your life and what you say, what you do, everything. What's on the air in your life? As you think about that, please close with me in prayer. Father, we thank you that you've given us these Ten Commandments because they are a window into who you are and what you're all about. And I know, Father, that it is it's just such a challenge to proclaim these things and make these true and real in our lives. But, Lord, motivate us to be people, because we have been rescued by the blood of the Lamb, to proclaim this wonderful reality of who you are and what you're all about. Motivate us. But Father, I know many in this, maybe maybe many, maybe some in this room have never been rescued by the blood of Christ. And I pray, Father, that you would break their hearts and tear down their idols and help them to flip over this position of, of having an idol as highest but having you as lower. Lord, may you be highest in their life and may everything else change in, and change in their life because of that. And so bless our students in this way, and may their hearts be full of seeking your glory and not their own. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Okie dokie. Yes. Oh, perfect.